So picking up in Luke chapter 12, we come across this passage, which is, it's interesting in that Peter kind of pipes up. Jesus is talking away. He started, in fact, at the beginning of chapter 12. That's where this particular teaching of Jesus begins. And Peter, we're assuming he's paying attention to what Jesus says. That was always a good idea. Try to pay attention to what Jesus says. But Peter's one of those disciples who, he's been with Jesus for forever. And I think he comes to the teaching of Jesus with a certain set of assumptions. Jesus is obviously going to be here for forever. And, I mean, we've heard all this stuff before. And so I think Jesus begins to speak, and, and we kind of put ourselves in the place of Peter. You know, he's, Jesus gets up and says, at the beginning, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And you can kind of imagine Peter going, yeah, yeah, those, those hypocritical Pharisees. Boy, that's, that's not me. You know, Jesus is preaching to somebody else besides me. And then he gets on, and Jesus says, you know, be careful what you say in the dark, because all will be revealed. And Peter's like, yeah, now that's, you know, I'm... I'm over here careful what I say. I'm with Jesus every day. I mean, I'm with Jesus morning and evening and night. So I'm okay here. And Jesus says, uh, don't fear men and what they can do to you. And Peter's like, well, obviously, I'm not afraid of anybody. I mean, look at me. I'm Peter. I don't fear people. I, you know, I don't know why Jesus is even preaching this stuff to us. You know, I, I don't need to hear any of this. Jesus goes on. Beware of every form of greed. And Peter's like, greed? I, I'm not greedy. Look at this, we've left everything. We walked away from the boats, we left our nets, we walked away from our families. We're not greedy. We'd have to hear that. And then Jesus says specifically to the disciples, it actually says that, verse 22. Jesus says to the disciples, don't worry about your food or your clothing. These are the things the nations of the world seek. You don't need to seek those. Just seek the kingdom of God and store up treasure in heaven. Again, I'm certain Peter is like, well, I don't know which disciples he's talking to, but obviously it doesn't, it's not me. I've sold everything. I, we, we've got rid of it all. Even though it's addressed to the disciples, it might be the moment where Peter is a little more paying attention. But then we came to what Jesus said last week. Now, if you're Peter, and you heard what Jesus said last week, and I'll just read it for you, this prompts this week's sermon. So Jesus says this, and he said, he he just got done saying, he's talking to his disciples, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamp lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns to the wedding feast, so that you may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves who the master will find on alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table, and he'll come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or the third watch, or even as long as he finds those servants who are acting this way, they are blessed. So be sure of this. If the head of the household had known at what time the thief was coming, he would not have allowed the house to be broken into. You, too, be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour at which you do not expect. And you can just imagine Peter going, that is a really interesting thing for him to say. 
What do you mean? Jesus knows who the, uh, Peter knows who the Son of Man is, and he knows that this is one of Jesus' favorite terms for himself. And you can imagine Peter looking at Jesus going, what do you mean, come? You're standing right here. Of course you're coming. You're here. So Peter, like, look, I'm, all that other stuff, you just got done saying that, I don't, and, and now you come to this. Does this include me? Am I, are you actually talking to me? Are you actually, is the sermon you're preaching, Jesus, actually have anything to do with me? This is a teachable moment. I think one of the challenges, particularly those folks who grow up in the church, if you were born into a Christian family and you've been going to church, in fact, you can't even remember when you never went to church, it can be pretty easy to just kind of tune out the sermon. And you just kind of go, eh, I've heard all this stuff before. I don't, How many times are we going to, you know, you want to be careful. I think Peter is listening to Jesus, and I think he's thinking, particularly when we look at the sermon and you look at, we know Jesus gave many of these teachings back in Matthew at the Sermon on the Mount, and now this is a completely different time in the life of Jesus. A couple of years have gone by, and Jesus is still speaking because the truth is the truth, and he does need to bring it to new audiences, and I think Peter kind of tunes it out, bad idea. But not completely. It's enough that he's like, wait a minute. Are you actually talking to us? I think as Christians, we can kind of get to where we're like, yeah, boy, preach to those hypocrites. Yeah, man, can I think of a list of people who ought to be hearing this sermon? I'll tell you right now, the stuff you're saying, I, oh, that so-and-so were here listening to this. Well, you know, maybe so-and-so is listening. Maybe they're you know, tuning in online. But the fact is that we are here and the passage is here and the Spirit of God is here to speak to us. This is not the moment to listen because, well, I don't know, I get in theological arguments with people and maybe, maybe the sermon is going to say something that will give me another arrow in my quiver to shoot at my theological opponents, you know. Give me one more argument to give to the my, my relatives at the Thanksgiving table or something, right? Be careful about finding yourself only listening to the sermon because it applies to your certain someone else. I think Peter is doing this. I think Peter has been listening to Jesus and thinking for sure that Jesus had this applied to some other person. It is essential when we come to the word of God that we understand God is speaking to us. There is truth in the word of God. There's always truth in the word of God. And every passage, no matter how much you've studied it and how much you think you know it, there is always more that the spirit of God can teach us. When we get to heaven, no one is omniscient but God. No one knows it all. When we get to heaven, we're going to continue to grow in grace and knowledge. We're going to continue to be confronted with situations where we're going to have to figure out. We'll never sin, but you want to do the wisest thing. Adam and Eve were created perfectly, but they still had choices to make. God sent them out, tend the garden. Go, go 
deal with the garden. Well, oh, okay. Should I bend this branch this way or that way? Should I plant this tree or that tree? There's all kinds of decisions to be made here. We're going to get to heaven. We don't get to heaven and have no decisions. You're going to have more decisions. And you're going to want to understand who God is even better. And the way to do that is to come to the word of God. So Peter's taken by surprise. He, he shouldn't be. The problem, of course, is that Peter has certain assumptions. Jesus is the Messiah. We know how this goes. Jesus has come as the Messiah. Peter says, I believe he's the Messiah. He's already promised us that one of these days we're going to sit on thrones. And, of course, that day can't be very far off. I mean, any minute now, Jesus, with his ability to do miracles, is going to clearly overthrow the Romans, set us up ruling here in Jerusalem, and we're going to sit on our thrones and rule the whole earth. And I don't know, any minute now, that's obviously going to happen. And so, I don't know. And here Jesus is saying, you better be ready for my coming. What what exactly does that mean? Of course, it's, we know exactly what Jesus means. Peter will not put this together until after the death and the burial and the resurrection. And then, even then, he will ask him. So Jesus said, this time, are you going to? Bring the kingdom? I'm, is this the moment? And of course the answer is, no, not yet. And Jesus will ascend from the Mount of Olives. And then the angels will say to them, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing up? This same Jesus who you just saw go up, in like manner will return. And I would assume that that would be the moment where Peter would go, Oh. That's what he was talking about. And that's instructive. The fact is that God is continuously at work in our lives all the time, bringing the word of God. And maybe, maybe it's not for this exact moment. Maybe you just need to store it. You need to meditate on it. You need to think about it a little bit. And the moment will come when it will come back to you and you will say, ah, that's what that sermon was speaking to. That's what God was trying to teach me. Couldn't quite get it at the time, but I paid attention, and I listened, and I molded over, and now I'm in a situation where I'm really glad I heard that. That's Peter. And we know because Peter says, in verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? You just got done saying that we should be ready for your coming. Are you actually saying that? You're standing right here. What do you mean be ready for your coming? So what does Jesus say to him? I mean, is Peter supposed to keep a lamp lit? Is, Is Peter supposed to be the servant who's ready to open the door the minute Jesus comes back? Is Jesus, is Peter supposed to wait for the coming of Jesus like a thief in the night? He's standing right here in front of me. Yes, actually, Peter, you are supposed to do all of these things. And it will all make sense. Jesus doesn't say that, though. Jesus just gives a parable. He said, all right, Peter, let me explain this to you. Even though Jesus knows, he knows what Peter's asking. Of course he does. He's God. He knows exactly what Peter's asking, but the answer he gives is going to be 
continued mysterious to Peter. I don't think Peter gets where this is all going any better after Jesus gives this parable than he had before Jesus gave this parable. It's not going to be until all the events take place, then Peter will recall. And it will all make sense to him. This is how God works. We get in the middle of a situation, we look it over, we're trying to figure out what the end is going to look like, where is this all going to go, how does this all work out, and it's a mystery to us. We cannot put it together. God knows that. You can look at our present nation, look at our present society and culture, and you can watch it all and you're thinking, this is not going in a good direction. How is this all going to end? I don't know. I don't know how this is all going to end, but I'll tell you what we need to do is be faithful to God and be true to God and true to his word and true to the truth. And however it all ends, that's how it's going to end. God knows how it's going to end. We just need to be faithful, which, of course, Peter is mostly. He will deny that he knows Jesus three times. Uh, And Jesus knew that. He knew that. And he didn't spare Peter from that. He didn't say to Peter, all right, now, I'm going to go out to the, over here to the, to the Mount of Olives, and I'm going to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I want you to stay in the upper room, Peter, because, you know, there's going to come a group of circumstances here that you really shouldn't have to go through. Oh, no, that, no, no. Come with me. And by the way, you need to pray, lest you fall into temptation. And, of course, Jesus goes over and prays and comes back, and there they are sleeping. He wakes them up. Hey, I told you to pray so that you don't enter into temptation. Goes back over and prays, and they go right back to sleep. And then, sure enough, Peter falls into temptation. I mean, just, just like Jesus told him. So God allows us to go through things, and he doesn't always explain how it's all going to go. He just expects us to continue to be faithful. Which is exactly, by the way, what this parable is going to teach. So, here we go. Who then, Jesus asks, who then, and answer to your question, Peter, who's going to be the faithful and wise steward? That's the question. Jesus says, all right, you want to you wanna know how the answer is as to whether or not you should be prepared for the coming of the Son of Man? Let me ask you this question, Peter. Are you going to be the faithful and wise steward? Are you going to be the guy who does what he's supposed to do? Stewards are given responsibilities. A steward is someone who has a job description. You are given administrative duties over whatever your stewardship is. You may have a stewardship over the food or over the funds or over the servants, or maybe you have stewardship over all of them and should delegate. But a steward was someone who was a servant. They were a slave. In the ancient world, not to get too far afield, but in the ancient world, slavery was common. There were two kinds of nations in the ancient world. There were nations that conquered other nations, and there were nations who were conquered. And if you were the conquering nation, you took all the people you conquered and made them slaves. If you were a conquered nation, chances are pretty good a whole pile of you were going to end up in slavery. It just was how it was. It, it wasn't. We look at slavery in our nation, and it was rooted in racism, and it was a horrific, terrible institution. 
But slavery in biblical times, they enslaved everybody. They didn't, they didn't care what the color of your skin was or what nationality you were. They didn't care about it. They just enslaved everybody. If they conquered you, most of the people ended up enslaved. And so people who were highly educated, people who were highly skilled, well, you wanted them to be your slaves because they would bring their education and their skills, and they would, you put them in all kinds of responsible positions once you learned you could trust them. You, you look at Joseph, right? He's captured as a slave. And he ends up in Egypt in Potiphar's house in charge of the whole household. That was a common way in which slavery was viewed. You're still a slave. Even when, even when Joseph ends up second to Pharaoh, he still can't pack up and go back home. You're still a slave. You can't go. But you are second only to Pharaoh. You're running the whole nation. So that was... That was how that worked. And so this is what Jesus is referring to here. So there are stewards, and he's going to talk about four different kinds of stewards. And the question is, what kind of steward are you going to be? And, of course, we know that Jesus is referring to the fact that he has now gone, and here we are. We're in this moment. And this is directly applying to us. So what kind of steward are you going to be? Who then is that faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time or their food? So steward number one, this is the person who is faithful, trustworthy. They act responsibly. They believe that the master could, in fact, arrive at any moment. They have a job. They have a responsibility. Their job and their responsibility is to take care of the food, to make sure that everyone gets what they need at the proper moment. Now, food preparation to this day is a little challenging. It'll keep you busy, but in the ancient world, food preparation was, it could take your life up. If you were the person in charge of feeding everybody in the household, you'd start this first thing in the morning and do it till late at night. If you want to bake bread, okay, well, let's see. You've got a field over there with wheat in it. Somebody's got to actually cut that wheat down. You've got to separate the wheat from the chaff. You get the wheat in here and you've got to grind it. You, you've got to grind it really fine, and then you've got to sift it. And, and if you grind it good enough, we're finally to the place where we can start talking about baking bread. We talk about baking bread from scratch. Scratch, scratch is when you put the wheat in the ground. That's baking bread from scratch. And that was part of the ancient world. This is just part of how this all went. There was no refrigeration. There, were, there was let alone microwaves and electric stoves. You know, you had to light a fire. You, had, you better get this stuff going. This was a full-time job, and so the person whose job it was to make sure that everyone in the household was fed had to be a very responsible person. You better be able to look into the future, think about how this is going to go. We need to provide at least two meals a day. I don't think they ate three meals a day in the ancient world. Two meals a day, and we better have enough stuff in storage. We better have enough stuff that every day that we can provide for everyone. This is a tough job. This, this is hard work. You need to be faithful. You need to be thinking about this when you get up in the morning and you're thinking about it by the time you go to bed at night. This is consuming you. This is, this is a job. 
and you've got other people under you. Because if you're going to serve a whole bunch of people, you've got to be responsible, and you've got to have people under you who are responsible, and that's how this job is. So when the master says, I'm leaving. Now, I'll be back. Not sure when, but I'll be back. So you guys just take care of the household while I'm gone. I'll be back. And off he goes. A wise and faithful steward will just keep doing his job. He will say, okay, folks, here we go. We've still got to get the meals on the table. We've still got to get down and, and plant the crops and harvest the crops or go down to the market and buy the stuff. We need to continue to do exactly what we are supposed to do because the master could arrive at any time. That is steward number one. He's responsible. He's faithful. He has every confidence that the master is, in fact, going to come back and could arrive at any moment. And if that were to occur, they want to be able to give a good account of themselves. This is a person who believes that the master is coming back. They are a believer. The next steward, oh, sorry, what will happen to that steward when the master, in fact, returns? Well, blessed is that slave who, when his master finds so doing when he comes. When the master comes back, and by the way, he will come back, well, truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. The person who is faithful, who is doing what they're supposed to be doing, who continues to carry out their responsibilities, even though the master isn't looking over their shoulder every moment, isn't asking them for an account every day, they are simply serving because... It's the right thing to do. They're a responsible person, and they believe that, they, that the master is going to return, and they count their master's opinion of them in high regard. They want to make sure that when the master comes back, that I've been doing my job. I, I'm a faithful slave. You've hired me and bought me, and I've been bought with a price, and I'm here to carry out your will, even though you're not here. Okay, But if that slave or that steward, verse 45, this is, this is, Jesus is saying, look, which kind of steward are you? Are you going to be the steward who does what you're supposed to do? Or it's possible, the exact same person, if that slave, if that steward says in his heart, well, <clears throat> My master is uh, going to be a long time before he ever gets back here. And he begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and to drink and to get drunk. Hmm. So here you've got a person who's in the exact same position. This is a person who is also a steward. They were also the person who's in charge, who were supposed to be taking care of all the, uh, all the other servants and giving them their, their rations, giving them their food at the proper time. Instead of doing that, they give themselves bad counsel. They say in their heart, and eh, a master isn't coming back for a whole long time. So you know what? I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to take this position that I have been put in. I'm going to take this authority that has been given to me, this, this power that I have over 
the other slaves, and I'm going to exploit them. They are going to exist for my benefit. I am not going to work hard for them. I'm not going to see to it that I provide them their food in due season. I'm going to make them provide me. And so I am going to eat and drink and drink to excess and get drunk and proceed to beat on the other servants who don't bring me what I want fast enough. I'm going to become a tyrant. Why? Well, because I don't, I don't know if the master's ever going to come back. I'm not sure I even care if the master ever comes back. All I care about is me. And so I'm going to look out for me. And I'm going to do what works best for me. And I'm going to take all of the authority that the master has given me to elevate me. And that is this steward's problem. He doesn't see his position. He doesn't see the authority that he has. He doesn't see the things that have been given to him by his master are to be given to him to serve the other servants. There is no servant leadership in this guy's heart. Oh, no. He's not in charge so that he can serve others. He's in charge so that they can serve him. May the Lord save us all from having such people in charge over us. I've done ministry for a very long time, my whole adult life, and I have served with people who strive to do whatever they can to take care of the people around them and to be kind and to be compassionate and, and to do the work that God has called them to because God has called them to it. I've also served with people they're nice folks. They're good folks. They're kind folks. Right up until you put them in charge of something. And the minute you put them in charge of something, they become defensive and territorial. And this is their ministry. And nobody better get near it. And nobody better try to elbow their way into their ministry. This is what they do. And, and, and they become... All those things you don't want people to become. And if you try even kindly to maybe mention it to them, they become seditious. And they start gossiping and trying to undermine you. And uh, that's this guy. That's this servant who Jesus is talking about. This is the guy who thinks that I use my power and my authority and any kind of, any kind of thing that I've got here, I'm going to use it to further me, and I don't really care about anybody else. If you ever have opportunity to be in ministry, and you are put in charge, and you have a group of people who are willing to help you get ministry done, try not to be this guy. Try not to be this person who is defensive, who sees everyone around them as a threat, who thinks that the moment anyone comes up with a suggestion that's not theirs, how dare they insult me by somehow thinking I don't know everything. Well, you know, it might just be because you don't know everything. How dare I say that to you? Yeah, I know. And if you're not in charge of anything, that might be why. It just might be you're not in charge of things because people who act like that shouldn't be put in charge of things. This guy should not be the steward. Obviously, he's qualified. He's qualified because he, he was the steward before the master left. And as long as the steward was, as long as the master was standing right there and 
keep an eye on him. He obviously carried out his responsibilities sufficiently enough that when the master left, he left him in charge. But the moment he was put in charge with no accountability, he just just fell off the deep end. Don't be this person. Try not to act like this. Try to see any kind of authority you have, any kind of position that you have, any kind of a place that you have where you're carrying out the ministry and the work of God, see the people around you as your fellow servants and try to serve them and try to do what you can for them. Be kind to them and compassionate to them. Take their advice. Listen to what they have to say. See your job as to help them do better. This is what the first steward does. The first guy actually gives the servants what they need in their due time. A lot of hard work to that. Yeah. Try to be that person. Don't be this guy. I've worked with people like this guy. I'm sure you have. Try not to be like this because the fact is, even though he doesn't believe it, even though he doesn't think it's going to happen, even though he is an unbeliever, In the return of the master, the master will return. And it says the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him to pieces. This is an expression used of Old Testament sacrifices. This is, I mean, this is, the expression is literally Take your sacrifice and cut it in pieces. No, no, the deal. Literally cut this guy in pieces. But the fact is the expression is an extreme term of judgment. You're going to fall under heavy judgment and assign him a place for the unbelievers. Even though he may have appeared to be a believer, he may have appeared to have been a good steward, he may have appeared to be the guy who could be responsible and take care of things, The fact is, the minute he thought the master wasn't looking, he used all of his power and position and authority to just aggrandize himself and didn't care about anybody else. Well, the day is going to come. He's going to give an account of that. And when he does, he's going to be cut to ribbons. And he's going to be assigned a place with the unbelievers. Don't don't be this person. Don't, Don't act like this. Now, there's another guy. He's not he's not in charge as much. But he is a guy who has responsibilities. There are other servants within the household. There are the servants with other jobs, doing other things. There are guys out in the field who are planting and growing the crops and doing all kinds of stuff. There there are other servants doing other things. Here's one of them, verse 47. There's the slave who knew his master's will. He's not a steward. He's he's not affecting everybody else's life. He just... Just his own life. But he knows the master's will. And you know what? He, he didn't get ready. Or he didn't act in according to his master's will either. He just kind of stopped doing his job too. May not have had necessarily great effect on everybody else. He just, eh. I, you know, I, I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm not going to pray anymore. I, yeah, I go to church. not go to church. doesn't really matter. I'm going to do what just works for me. I, that, that's this guy. He knows what he's supposed to do. He understands what his job is. But he's not going to do it. And he's not going to do it because, you know, we're all going to die. We're all going to go to heaven. We're all going to be just as happy. Uh, You think so, huh? Uh, Well, 
That slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in according with his will will receive many stripes. There will be a price to be paid. You will stand before God and give an account of yourself to God. And if you think what you do in this world doesn't matter, you will learn a very painful lesson. It does matter. You are literally laying the ground for your eternity right now. The foundation of your eternity is being laid at this moment. And you will carry it with you into eternity. What you do matters. That's why I read the passage from 1 Corinthians. Everyone's life will be like a building, and it will be lit on fire. And you just hope, when it's all done burning, that you've got a few pieces of gold and silver and some precious stone in there. And that the whole thing doesn't just go up in flames, and you end up getting into heaven so as by fire. Just wait till you stand before Jesus, who literally gave his life for you who died on your behalf. And the only thing you can give him in gratitude is nothing. You haven't got a thing. You just lived your whole life selfishly. I don't know about you, but that is not how I want to stand before Jesus. And neither do you. And the last verse, verse 48 This answers the question, which everyone out there, there seems to be so many people so obsessed with this question. You try to share the gospel. What about the guy in the deepest, darkest jungle who never heard the name of Jesus? Somehow they're just really concerned about that. You might want to look at them and say, "Uh, well, you're not that guy because I'm telling you about Jesus. We can get to him if that really concerns you, but you have a responsibility for the truth revealed to you. We can get to the guy who didn't hear it in a minute. What about you? So we're now going to get to the guy. What about him? What about the guy who was in the field? What about the guy who comes in from the field and, uh, I mean, he walks in and there's a party going on? Well, this is nice. This is great, man. Uh, Nobody's doing their job. Um, Well, I guess I don't have to do my job either. I'm, you know, this the steward, not giving anybody food, and uh, I don't know, everybody's opened up the storehouse, and everybody's sitting around eating and drinking, and uh, nobody's really doing their work, and <sighs> okay, so they sit down, and they, you know, they just, them too, what do you, I, I don't know, it's what everybody else is doing, it. okay, that servant who did not know his master's will, he didn't get the memo. Oh, by the way, the master is going, you need to keep doing your job. Okay, these are people who, they've never heard the Bible. They've never heard the Ten Commandments. They've never heard the name of Jesus. There's all kinds of people in our world who have never read a Bible, never owned one, never heard the name of Jesus. They're still responsible because the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. And the law of God is written on their hearts. They know that they should love their neighbor They know that they shouldn't steal or lie or cheat. They they know that there's a sense of morality and they don't measure up to it and that they should seek out God. They know that. They're without excuse. Romans 1 is clear about that. But it's not like they have more Bibles in their house than they can even count. They're not that person. 
they are a person who genuinely has a considerable smaller body of knowledge. Well, that servant who really didn't know exactly what was required of him, even though he committed deeds worthy of a serious flogging, he'll just receive a few. Why? Because God will go easy on him. Why? Because God is fair. God is just. God understands. And by the way, this guy is not us. Just be clear here. That's not us. We are not this person. We have heard the word of God. We have access to the word of God. We are literate. We, we can, you can probably have more Bibles than you could count. I know I do. On my computer, I've, I've got 20 English translations. Not to mention the Greek and the Hebrew and and you, just go online if you're like, well, I, 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 my Bible, where's my Bible? Go to blueletterbible.com, not to advocate them necessarily. It's right there, and there's more copies, more translations. It's all right there, and any one of a number of other places. The guy who didn't know his master's will is not us. And here is directly pointed at us. Everyone who has been given much, much will be required. That is us. That's us. God's going to hold the bar pretty high for us. And to whom they entrust much, of him they will ask the more. We have a pretty serious responsibility here before God because we have resources, we have wealth, we have education, we have access, we have freedom. We are going to answer to God. So maybe other societies, you know, the guy got up in the morning and strapped himself to some animal and proceeded to walk behind that animal all day long till the sun went down and managed to come home and make his way through the door long enough to put some food in his face and pass out so he could get up the next morning and strap himself to some animal for the rest of the next day and the next day. And Okay, maybe that guy never learned to read, never traveled more than three miles from the place he was born and died in the house he was born in. Okay, that guy, yeah, he's going to get few stripes. That's not us. That's not us. We have the wealth and knowledge of the world at our fingertips. God is going to call us account for that. Just give you a fair warning. Me too, by the way. You know, this applies to all of us. If you're not terrified about standing before God and giving an account for everything we've got, you are not paying attention. This applies directly to us. This is not a sermon for someone else. Maybe Peter sat there and thought, are you talking to me? Okay, we should not be thinking that. This is directed at us. And, of course, by God's grace, you guys are here. I'm not here to beat on you, you know. The, the people who are here, you're, you're obviously paying attention. But just remember, when you're tempted to not, when you're tempted to think that your Christianity can just be kind of put aside, it can't be. Be responsible. Jesus is with us every day. Strive to act like that. Strive to think like that. Think biblically. Because we will give an account. We want to make sure that we can stand before Jesus and at least, 
at least to say we tried. We at least tried. No one succeeds. No one's perfect. But at least we worked at it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the warnings. Thank you for letting us know. You could come back before I finish this prayer. Any moment, Lord, you could be here. And may we live our lives in such a way that we truly believe that. May we be good stewards of the things you have given us. May we be faithful, honest, servants, humble. May we take care of one another, love one another, watch out for one another. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit and the grace and the wonderful place you've given us here in this assembly. Continued to fill us with your spirit of love and compassion. And may we take care of each other. May you continue to bring us your saints that we may love them as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.